Well, good morning. It's good to see you here this morning. Take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, and we're continuing our study through Matthew. And as you, you make your way there, I, I don't know if you know this, but there are different levels of rejection. And it usually has to do with the quality or the quantity of what we're rejecting. Uh, some things that you reject in life have little to no effect on you. Uh, I think about all the times I've ever gone to buy an appliance and uh, it was like a $30 appliance and you go to the checkout counter and they say, do you want to buy the $50 warranty for this uh, toaster? And how many times have you said, no, I'm good, right? Uh, I, I'm not, I, I don't know about you, but I don't want to spend more on a warranty than, than I did for the actual product. Uh, but there are instances where the, the rejection ultimately has no bearing on your life. But then there, there are also situations and circumstances where rejection can have some negative effects. Uh, they, can be, they can cause injury if you reject some advice or some counsel. It can make your life harder. It can make you take the long way around instead of a, a straight line. Um, you know, pieces of advice that make your life a little easier. Um, so, for example, one piece of advice that makes your life easier is if you're going to play in Texas, you've got to have a fiddle in the band, right? So, that's just a piece of advice. It, it doesn't ultimately change long-term your life, but, you know, it's good wisdom. So, those two levels are, are pretty innocuous enough, but the third level is, is when we, we begin, the, the severity begins to increase and we have to proceed with caution, because rejection in this category leads to almost certain injury and, and sometimes even physical death. Uh, there, are, there are certain physical permanent consequences that could happen. Now, when we think about these different levels, I think for many people, both in the world and in the church, what they do with Jesus really falls into that first category, that first level. Jesus is uh, essentially a part of a buffet. He, he is a part that you can take or leave. You can still be full. You can still have a full and meaningful life. And, and really, it's no different than rejecting a warranty on your toaster. For others, what they do with Jesus would be in the second category. Jesus has some good things. He, he's, you know, the golden rule, treat others the way you want to be treated. That's, that's a good piece of advice. It would make our life better if we, if we practice that. God gives good financial advice. It'd be good and probably helpful if we followed that. So following Jesus falls into that second category. But when it comes to Jesus, he's in a category of his own because he is in a fourth category because what we do with Jesus has serious and not just physical, but eternal spiritual consequences. Last week, we talked about how Jesus was the expected Messiah, but he didn't meet all our expectations. He was who he is. He is who he is. And we talked about last week, we have to respond to who he is, not who, he wish, not who we wish he was. But this week, I want us to look at Jesus' teaching, and we'll see that rejecting Jesus is not a light matter, and it's not an unimportant matter. 
The reality is that rejecting Jesus has implications for our eternal destiny. The person of Jesus, the work of Jesus, the sacrifice he made, all of that is too great to be put into any other category than the most serious category. So we talked about last week about Jesus doesn't meet all our expectations, right? You remember that? But this morning what I want us to see is that it wouldn't even matter if he did. Jesus doesn't meet all our expectations. And this morning I want to show you that even if he did, it wouldn't matter. When we look at verses 16 through 24... In Matthew chapter 11, it really breaks down into two parts. And the two parts, uh, the, two passage, the two paragraphs make up our two parts of the main idea this morning. The main idea I want you to get this morning, I want you to leave here understanding is this. Even if Jesus met all our expectations, we would still reject him. And that rejection has dire consequences. Let me say that again. Even if Jesus met all your expectations, you'd still reject him, and that rejection would have dire consequences. So even if he met all our expectations, we would reject him. Where do we get that from? Well, when we look at verses 16 through 19, Jesus is teaching that We would reject him because he uses this example. He uses an illustration. Look at verse 16. He says, to what should I compare this generation? What's this generation like after what I've said? And he says they're like children. He compares them to rejecting children. Look at what he says. It's like children sitting in the marketplaces who call out to other children saying, we played the flute for you, but you didn't dance. We sang a lament, but you didn't mourn. And what Jesus is referring to is two types of games that kids would play. So if you remember sometimes in the movies or maybe growing up, you'd have a friend come over and they'd, say, they'd knock on the door and they say, can so-and-so come out to play? And you'd say, well, yes or no, depending on what mom or dad said, right? If you could go out to play. Well, well back in the first century, kids would come and they, they would yell at your, your, your window and they would say, come out and play, come out and play. And And their friend wouldn't come down and they say, we're going to play the funeral game. And then maybe that will get the friend to come out. Well, if that doesn't work, and they say, we're going to play the the, the flute game. We're going to have a, a fun, we're going to do a fun game. And that still doesn't draw the child out. That's what Jesus is saying here. He says, we played the flute for you, but you didn't dance. We came, the kids came and we said, we're going to play a fun game. It's going to be a lot of energy. It's going to be like, like freeze tag. It's just going to be a lighthearted, fun game. And the kid says, no, I don't want to do that. So the kids go to the opposite extreme. So if he doesn't want the lighthearted game, maybe it's the serious game. You know, something like war or Avengers, pretend, you know, cops and robbers, something like that, something serious. It says, we sang a lament, but you didn't mourn. So essentially Jesus is saying is you guys are like children, this generation where it wouldn't matter if, if we came and met all your expectations over here, you wouldn't want to come. And if we met all your expectations over here, you wouldn't want to come. Now, look at what Jesus says. 
Why can he say this? Verse 18, for this is why Jesus says what he says. John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. So here's John. He's in the wilderness. He's set apart. He's not hanging around sinners. He's not eating. He's not drinking. He's kind of living this monastic life, right? But what does it say? They say he has a demon. Okay, well, if that doesn't appeal to you, maybe Jesus will appeal to you because he's kind of the opposite. What does he say? He says, the Son of Man, that's a messianic language, right? The Messiah comes eating and drinking. So John doesn't eat or drink. Jesus does eat and drink. John doesn't hang around sinners. Jesus does hang around sinners. So which one do you want? You could pick either one. You could have exactly what you want. And Jesus says what? The Son of Man comes eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So Jesus is smart enough to know, and he, I mean, he's the Messiah, he's God. He knows that it's really not about the expectations. Even if they met their expectations, they would still reject them. That's why he says what he says at the end of verse 19, yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. What does he mean by that? Jesus says it is a wise thing to not try to cater to the expectations of the people who were going to reject him anyway. There is a wisdom in, in not being so tethered to caring what these, uh, these crowds think and what they expect and there, there's a vindication there because both sides are rejected. And so even if Jesus meets all our expectations, we'd still reject him. And the obvious question is why? Well, very simply, we're sinners. We are sinners. First of all, we're sinners who have the wrong expectations in our minds. Even if Jesus met all, the, all of our expectations, some of them would be the wrong expectations, and we'd still reject them because we would find another reason to not trust and follow him. But not only do we have the wrong expectations, so sometimes we, we might reject him because he doesn't meet our expectations, and even if we did, we would still reject him because we're sinners who have rebellion in our hearts. The issue is not does Jesus check off all our check boxes. The issue is even if he does, our hearts are so rebellious and sinful that we would look at that list with all the boxes checked and still say, hard pass. But it's also because we're sinners who are blind and unable to see Christ for who he is apart from the work of God in our heart. That's why I really don't believe anyone who says, you know, I'd follow Jesus if he didn't teach what he teaches about marriage. If, if, if Jesus didn't teach what he taught about marriage, I'd follow Jesus in a heartbeat. No, you wouldn't. And maybe you're here this morning and you say, you know, I would really follow Jesus, but there's this one thing that, that if I could just be convinced that, that he would move or, or, or budge on, you know, I would be all in. No, you wouldn't. Because it wouldn't matter. This is why Jesus is, 
how do I put this? He is holy, H-O-L-Y, and holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, unconcerned with meeting our expectations. There is a wisdom and a goodness in this that, that neither John nor Jesus sought to cater their message and their ministry to the desires of those who would reject it anyway. So John and Jesus gives both sides and both were rejected. And we would reject him even if he met all our expectations. So that's the first part of our main idea. Even if he met all our expectations, we'd still reject him. But then when we look at verses 20 through 24, Jesus begins to unwrap the severity of such a rejection. This, this type of rejection has consequences. Look at what Jesus says in verse 20. It says, then he proceeded to denounce. He proceeded to denounce the towns where most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For the, if the miracles that were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes long ago. Verse 22. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. Verse 23. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? No. You will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were done in you, listen to this, had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until today. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. So remember, our main idea is that even if he met all our expectations, we'd reject him. And that rejection has dire consequences. Look at what Jesus says. He begins to denounce them. What does it mean to denounce? He's, he's giving a righteous reprimand. Jesus is giving a, a holy criticism. And the word that, that is used here is you have to read it. And at the end of it, you have to say, he's not wrong. It's a righteous judgment that he is pronouncing here and why does he denounce them well look at verse 20 it says he began to denounce the towns why because they did not repent and then he uses this language woe and in english it's hard to communicate the the uh the severity of such a statement without putting some some passion behind it okay so Jesus, in, 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 this, in this day, would not have said, woe to you, right? So brace yourselves. I, I'm going to try to give you the force of what Jesus is saying here, okay? He's saying, woe to you, all right? Jesus is not nonchalantly saying, um, guys, by the way, he's saying, woe Whoa, this, this word is, is, a, is a heavy, loaded word. He says, whoa, there is, there is disgrace and judgment and condemnation. It's very prophetic when you go read the prophets in the Old Testament. It is a, it's a very serious term that Jesus uses here. 
And he says, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida. Why? For if the miracles that were done in you had been done, Tyre and Sidon would have repented in sackcloth and ashes long ago. Now, you know sackcloth and ashes indicates a very serious, deep, contrite repentance, right? When Jonah goes and preaches to the Ninevites, what happens? They hear and they repent, what? In sackcloth and ashes. So Jesus says... I'm denouncing you, Chorazin and Bethsaida, because I did these works and you did not repent. And he uses Tyre and Sidon. Now, why has Jesus picked those? Well, remember, he sounds like a prophet here. And Tyre and Sidon were these these large cities uh, on the Mediterranean Sea, and they were not far away. And often in the Old Testament prophets, they were condemned for their Baal worship, right? That, that false god that the Israelites continually uh, were praying and, and worshiping and, and God pronounced judgment on these cities. Jesus says to reject Jesus is worse than if you lived in a town that was identified as a center of Baal worship. Right? So this is no light matter. He even goes on to say, if you had to pick an Old Testament picture for God's righteous judgment, what would come to mind? Would it not be Sodom and Gomorrah? Is not Sodom and Gomorrah the typical, the prototypical, the the picture of God's judgment, fiery, righteous horrific, holy judgment, Jesus says, it's more tolerable. If the works that Jesus had been done in Sodom, it would still be around today. Don't let the magnitude of that statement escape your attention, okay? (laughs) Jesus says to reject him, To be somebody who rejects him makes you worse than the citizens of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he even says in verse 24, It will be more tolerable in the land of Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. So hear me, Jesus is saying, if you had to choose which day of judgment you get to experience... If you knew all the details, you would choose Sodom and Gomorrah over standing before God apart from Christ. That's serious. Why such strong language, such righteous indignation? Why does Jesus use such severe statements and condemnations? Well, because he's communicating the severity of rejecting Christ. Rejecting Christ, not trusting Him as your Lord and Savior, is not without dire and eternal consequences. One of the little ticks that I have is whenever I go to a restaurant and I order a burger and it comes with lettuce and tomato, I say, no lettuce, no tomato, right? And it's not even about the lettuce and tomato. I just don't like messy burgers, if I'm being honest, right? You ever, you ever get one of those burgers just like lettuce and tomato and it literally will not fit in your hands? Like, how am I supposed to get that in my mouth, right? So a lot of times I say, no lettuce, no tomato. If a rabbit would eat it, I don't want it. 
rejecting Jesus is not like asking for no lettuce, no tomato. It's not like choosing to take the back roads and not the highway. Listen to me, trusting Christ for salvation, responding to Him the way we should, is the difference between eternal life and eternal condemnation. That's what's on the line. What you do with Jesus determines where you spend eternity. What you do with Jesus determines whether you enter into blessedness or condemnation. Some of you are here this morning and right now you are rejecting Christ. You are, you are attempting by living your own life apart from Him to, to cast Him off His throne. To remove Him from, from power and authority. You think by, by rejecting Him somehow you, you can pull Him down, but you can't. There's a good word. Defenestrate. You cannot defenestrate Jesus. You cannot remove him from power. You cannot act in a way that dethrones him. But Jesus here is saying that you need to be warned. You need to be warned. Rejecting him is not without consequence. And here's where I'm pleading with you. If you are here this morning and you are rejecting Christ... You, you, you say, I want no part in it. It's fine for someone else. It's fine for my kids. It's fine for my spouse, but not for me. And you hear me say there are consequences. There are dire consequences. And you might be lulled into a false sense of security because you know what? If we're being honest, you don't see those consequences right now. But let me assure you that those consequences are there. They will come. And you cannot escape them apart from Christ. Don't be fooled. Don't let Satan, don't let your stubborn heart lead you into condemnation because of what you claim you cannot see. The same Christ who uttered these words can say these things. Because he is the same Christ, the same Jesus who invites you to trust him for salvation. The consequences for our sin, for our rebellion is death and judgment. But the good news that we have to offer you who are rejecting Christ is that Christ came and lived a perfect life. And he took the punishment for sin for my sin that my sin deserved. And, and when I trust in him, and if you trust in him, you can be declared forgiven. And all that condemnation, all that judgment will have been poured out on Christ instead of you. And you can be redeemed, saved. Know this Jesus. So there's some of you who, who are rejecting Christ right now. And I would plead with you. Turn to Christ. Trust Him as your Savior. But then there are some of you, maybe especially some of you young folk, who are flirting with the idea of rejecting Jesus. You want to walk away. You, you want to go your own way. Maybe you grew up in church. Maybe that's really all you've ever known. You, you hear the stories about celebrities or Christians or other people who have left the faith and, and, and they may seem happy and they may seem free and joyous. 
But, but can I just tell you there's one problem with that? Well, two actually. Number one, Jesus says otherwise. But then number two, where you're wanting to go, listen to me, I've already been there. I lived there. You want to go where many of us have already been. And if you will just listen, even just a little bit, may I tell you that there is no life There is no lasting joy. There is no lasting peace. What you will get in return will pale in comparison to the judgment and the condemnation that awaits those who reject Christ. I know what awaits you there. I used to live there. You want to go where I've already been. I don't know how much of my testimony I've ever shared, but I did not become a Christian until I was 20 years old. In high school, I was an atheist. I went to college, an even more hardened atheist. I read all the books on evolution, against Christianity. I was probably the last person you would expect. Now, what's funny is a lot of people, you know me as pastor. My kids have only ever known me as, you know, pastor daddy and, and Christian daddy. But, but if you went and talked to my high school friends, they would tell you the last person that they would expect to become a Christian is Jason Korn. And yet, God was gracious and merciful And bringing me out of that darkness and into the light. So if you will, young folks, or or someone who is flirting with the idea of rejecting Christ, if you will hear my testimony and hear what I say, I've been there. And there's nothing that waits you there. Rejecting Jesus has dire. There's not a word strong enough. Dire is not enough. Severe is not enough. Eternal is not enough. There are consequences, and the Bible is clear on what those consequences are. To reject Christ is to determine to stand before God on your own works, hoping that it will be enough, and you will find out that it won't be. To reject Christ is to reject the only source of salvation, hope, forgiveness of sins, and eternal life. The Bible tells us in Acts 4.12 that there is salvation in no other name and no other person than Christ because there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So, lastly, what does that mean for those of us who are in Christ? We've heard about the consequences of rejecting Christ, but what about those of us who have trusted Christ for salvation? We who are resting in Christ alone as our only hope. I think what we take away from this is that we praise God for His grace in our lives. That if He met all expectations, we would still reject Him. That rejection has dire consequences. And yet, God did such a gracious, sovereign, kind work in our life. The, the, the issue that we needed was we needed to be born again. We needed to be a new creation. We needed a work that was deeper than God meeting our expectations. We needed God to change us, to regenerate us, to, to make us born again. We needed new hearts, new minds, and new wills. And praise God, that's exactly what he did. Because here's the thing. If Jesus met all expectations, we'd still reject him. And that rejection has consequences. And here's the reality. 
God would be perfectly just and right to give us those consequences. God owed us nothing. No, no life. No kindness. And yet, he did exactly what was necessary so that a change would take place in our hearts that one day God did a work such that we went from rejecting him to coming to him and saying, yes, Lord, save me. Only because God did his sovereign work can we rejoice that this statement is true, but it's not true for us. The dire consequences for our sin were placed on Christ. The death that we deserved, he died. The, the wrath that we merited and he didn't, he took and drank fully. And so what do we as Christians do with a text like this? We leave here leaping and rejoicing and blessing God that he was kind enough to save us. Because apart from him, we'd still be rejecting Christ. And such is the grace and kindness of God that he would love and choose us, we who had rejected him, that he would make us new creations so that we would respond to Jesus as he truly is. God is so good to us who are in Christ. Let us not forget what we've been delivered from through his work in our lives. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we've been reminded of, of the, very, the very bad news, the, the news that sometimes we need to be reminded of because we forget exactly what it is we've been delivered from. But, but Lord, for those of us who are in Christ, Lord, we, we humbly and gratefully Say thank you, Lord, for that work that led us to life. That work of your spirit that brought us out of darkness to light. God, that change in the heart that you worked in us. Such that instead of rejecting Jesus again and again and again until it was too late. God, we saw Jesus as he is. We saw the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And, and there came that moment when instead of rejecting him again, we stopped and said, yes, Lord. Lord, for anyone here who is rejecting Christ, Lord, may they sense the weight and the severity of such a decision, God. May, may that cause them to not delay in running to Christ trusting you for salvation, that they can be forgiven of their sins and cleansed and made right with you. But then may those who are toying with the idea of rejecting Christ, that there's that part or there's that deep, uh, uh, hidden, maybe even nobody knows about it, but that desire to, to walk away. Oh God, Holy Spirit, lay on them the severity of such an action.
And God, help them to maybe see again the goodness of God and Jesus Christ. Lord, that they will not be bound out of fear, out of fear of consequence, but that they would be bound to you out of a holy devotion, seeing that you truly are good and gracious and kind to sinners. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.